Blog Talk Radio. From Life in the Balance, the nonprofit organization committed to advocating on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their caregivers, this is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at Home. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs live each Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help your challenging child and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach at home. If you have a question or comment, call 347-994-2981. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about your challenging child and what we can do to help you Make things better. Hi there, and welcome to today's program. As always, I'm delighted that this is a parents' panel day. First Tuesday of every month, we gather our parents' panel together. We may be a little short-handed today on the parents' panel because Sharon um, may not be available today. Uh, she may be uh, laid up for a little while, and I don't know if we're going to get Sharon today. I haven't heard, but I know that we have Peter and Susie on the line. And so, um, you know what? Without further ado, let's bring them on. Uh, Peter, how are you today? I'm okay, Dr. Green. Good. How are you? And I am, I am you know, I am glad I have power. Let me put it that way. We... Um, uh, up here in the Northeast, lots of folks still don't. Uh, some people got pounded with snow over a foot. Uh, in my area, we only got three or four inches, but three or four inches of heavy snow when there are leaves on the trees um, brings uh, all kinds of things down, especially tree branches, into power lines. And so I was um, without power for 24 hours, but there are people who have been without power for days. And um, I know how I felt not having power for 24 hours. Um, I can only imagine what it's like to not have power for days. So, of course, our best wishes to those of you who may, um, well, if you're listening to this program right now, I hope you have power if you're listening to the archived version, I hope you finally do have power when you do get a chance to listen to the program. Susie, how are you today? Hi, everybody. I'm well, thank you. We had one Good. of those October storms a few years ago, and they're not much fun. Um, yeah, it seems kind of strange. I mean, we in in uh, the Boston area, the leaves were – most trees still aren't, aren't even turning yet. And so it's been sort of weird. Usually by Halloween you have, you know, fall in full bloom. We didn't even have fall in full bloom before the snow hit. But um, as Bill Belichick says, it is what it is. <laughs> um, but no power is not fun. I um, didn't like it one little bit. reminds you of how dependent you are on power and of how nice a hot shower really is. We take these things for granted. I always say that people who have the skills of flexibility, adaptability, and problem-solving take those skills for granted, and it's a lot harder to understand a kid who doesn't have those skills when you yourself possess them. 
Um, I can now relate to the people in this area who do not have power, a lot of them in Connecticut, um, which was kind of hammered by the storm. Um, A shower is a wonderful thing, especially a hot one. But we're not here to talk about storms or showers, not storms of that kind anyways. Um, I always ask our parents panel members if they have anything on their minds before we start the program. I do, but let's start with you both. Peter, anything? uh, Oops, there I go again. How common is it for me to forget to turn my cell phone off before the program? The answer, extremely common. (laughs) Peter, anything on your mind today? Yes, I'm... My wife and I have been struggling with the dilemma of uh, video games. Uh, we have a, a nine-year-old son. The older one is nine and the younger one is six. six and um, we're just not sure how to, how to deal with video games. When, when we try to um, have a, a plan B discussion with our son, he, he wants uh, to play video games, of course, um, mostly at his friend's house, but... Uh, and and if we try to limit it it's just it's just not realistic he he just doesn't seem to be able to stop playing them so a little is turns into a lot and then um you know when the agree the agreed about time has passed or approaches then he becomes very agitated when it when he needs to stop it's almost like an so the, addiction really we're we're just not sure how to deal with it so the unsolved problem is getting Difficulty ending the video game. I would say that that's true. Yes, got it. We don't we and don't we don't have very many in our house. And video games. Want to go to other other friends' house? Yeah, it's something we've never had in the house. Uh-huh. So it's it's easy to solve at home. We just don't have it. But he wants to go to other friends' house, and and he's not coming home on time. He doesn't want to do anything else except go to a friend's house and play video games. It's it's to the exclusion of every every other interest right now. And um, is it your goal to try to do something about that while he's at friends' houses? Well, it's very difficult to um, to manage other people's homes. It I mean, is we, indeed. Uh, part of the time, the parents will. Um, not supervise the kids too closely. So if he's at a friend's house, um, that tends to be one of the activities that they choose, and, it, and it's so, his so, preference. So we would near, need to hear your son's concerns in the empathy step, of course, about um, difficulty ending video games, although it sounds like it's difficulty ending video games in your house, and it is... Um, um, I'm becoming more prickly about how the unsolved problem is worded these days. Um, is, is it? That's why I'm asking. Do you want to have this discussion of, about video games in your house or, or video games in other house, people's houses too? I, I mostly consider it in our house. I, I guess your house, or, or it's if if we're planning to do something on the weekend, um, he'll spend all of his time asking to go to somebody's house to play video games. He'll phone their parents and see if their friend's home to see if he can play video games. It's it's mm-hmm. like an obsession. It's it's really, um, it, it's kind of, he's very single-minded in wanting to do it. Interesting. So um, we could revise, the, the, this actually sounds like there's two separate unsolved problems. Number okay. one, when he's on the video game at your house, he has trouble getting off. 
Number two, he's thinking about it a lot. Yes, I, I, I would. Fair. That's that's. Yes, that that would be fair. Actually, okay. it's it's kind of to generalize. Um, it's a it's he's a very visual learner, and so anything that has a lot of visuals, um, television, movies, it, he kind of latches onto that. Got it. So, um, in the empathy step, okay, we want to ask about his concern or perspective on one of those unsolved problems. I quite frankly would treat them separately. Those are two separate okay. discussions. Uh, ending the video game in your house, thinking a lot about video games and playing them at somebody else's house. Okay. Then, so, so we'd want to get his concerns on the table, and uh, as always, we want to get as much information as possible in the empathy step about what he's thinking on that issue. Then you'd need to be clear about what your concern or perspective is. And this is always this is an interesting one sometimes because sometimes parents aren't exactly sure how to word. Sometimes parents aren't even, forget the wording, often they're not even sure what their concerns about the video game is. What, what, what's your concern about video games? I don't mind if he plays it once in a while, um, but he's not doing other things. He's not... He wouldn't, uh, for example, uh, do his homework first, or he wouldn't um, just whatever needs to be done. That's the last thing that gets done. And he'll spend so, all of the time complaining about it when he could actually be doing the thing that needs to get done. So, for example, his homework might take 15 minutes to do, but he'll spend an hour bugging us to play video games. So let me make sure I'm clear is this about how much time he's playing video games or the fact that other things are not getting done? Um, well, I think there's two problems there. One, one is that if he's over, if he's at our house and, and we try to, he has like a handheld Nintendo game system, um, he could play it all day. It would be four, five, six hours. So that's time. That's time, amount of so time. That's time. And then the second one is that if we make a simple request of him to do something first, um, he'll get very, very agitated about it. Um, and he'll spend all his time resisting doing it when it would be something very simple to do. So we're having under trouble understanding why he can't um, you know, spend 15 minutes first getting something that we want him to do done well, of course, uh, 15 minutes first is a solution. So we'd, we'd want to make sure that it's your concerns that are on the table rather than a solution. Okay. Um, uh, it sounds like your concerns is that uh, your concern is that there's twofold. The amount of time he's spending on the game and the fact that other things that you feel are important to get done are being saved till last. Fair. I, I suppose that's true. It, we just we just perceive a um, decreased ability to co cooperate with us on on things that he just he becomes more difficult to to do just things in the house. Like he won't come to the dinner table easily. And that that would be a concern. I don't, we don't want to use the word cooperate because that suggests that 
while he's playing his video game, you're trying to get him to do something, or prior to him playing his video game, you're trying to get him to do something, and now we're in emergent conditions, and we want to make sure that we're solving this proactively. So, uh, I don't know, cooperate usually is a uh, laden term that that often means we want you to do what we tell you. Um, But I think it's expectations that you have that aren't getting met that are your concerns. But you'll have to give more thought, it sounds like. Often on this particular issue, it's really, on any issue, sometimes parents have trouble being specific about what their concerns are. But I think you'll want to give additional thought to what it is exactly about the video game playing that's troubling you. Certainly, it sounds like six hours feels excessive to you, and you'd have to think about what your concerns are about that. And the timing uh, and efficiency by which things that you expect him to do get done sounds like a concern. Um, But that's worth giving some thought to. And then, of course, in the invitation, you're uh, brainstorming solutions that will address his concerns and yours. And this is going to be a tough one. It always is. Okay. That helps to break it up into time and then expectations. Like we hadn't considered uh, doing that, so we're we're uh, approaching. Yeah, I mean, a lot of parents go into that. Uh, you know, a lot of parents go into the define the problem step, and they are saying, uh, "We just think it's not good that you're playing that much, and that's not specific enough." Or they say, "We don't want you playing that much. We we think you should only be playing two hours," and that's actually a solution. So oh, okay. that's the hard part yeah. often. Um, you're not talking about solutions in the define the problem step. You're, you're not talking about solutions in the empathy step. You're talking about solutions in the invitation only. And as I always say, because it's true, you can't come up with solutions unless you know what the concerns of the two parties are in very explicit terms. Okay. And that's it's going to be, I think that parents, like I've been saying, parents aren't often sure what their concerns are, but especially on this issue, um, parents often have difficulty being specific about their concerns. So good luck. Keep us posted. Thank you. This is a tough one. Uh, video game playing is one of the toughest unsolved problems people bump up against. It's a hard one to solve. Um, Regrettably, a lot of kids find video games to be far more entertaining than life in the real world. And um, they think about it a lot. And, um, geez, what an interesting use of one's brain. Those of us who didn't grow up in the video game generation, you know, this is true of every generation looking back, Saying, you know what it was like in the good old days, but um, kind of happy that video games were not something that were an option for me uh, when I was a kid, because um, kids really do a lot of kids really do think about them a lot, and it's a preferred activity. Uh, it trumps a lot of other things that adults wish they would be doing instead. Susie, tomorrow. what's on your mind today? What? Go ahead, Peter. Oh, no, I said certainly true in our house. It trumps a lot of activities. Yeah, I mean, um, 
boy, there's so many things a kid could do with his brain instead of a video game, but um, good luck convincing a kid of that. You'll have to have, your concerns will have to be specific. Thank you. Susie, what you got today? Um, I just wanted to say to Peter, it's a very, very difficult problem that you're confronting. And while I'm not keen on video games, I do believe within a certain time frame, of course, that for especially certain kids, they are relaxing. Um, I'm trying to think back to our house and um, how we handled it, and we had a similar situation to your nine-year-old son um, where our son was quite consumed with video games and trying to put some reasonable limits on it. Um, And I think one thing that helped us, if I remember correctly, is that we, before he had to do his schoolwork or a chore or whatever it is uh, we wanted him to do or needed help with, we let him play with his game for a bit. Um, And uh, I just also wanted to say that you can use this as a learning opportunity because as they get a bit older, the whole um, idea of computer and screen time comes up. And so if you can work this problem out now, it um, it's a good reference point for what's coming down the line. I see. Oh, thank, thanks for I your mean, encouragement. <laughs> sometimes it's not terrible <laughs> to eat a couple of cookies after breakfast if that's what you really want. It's just, uh, it is difficult. But also I remember that you have a younger son too, so it's it's good that you are realizing that it is a problem right now. It's not the end of the world, but it's a certainly a good one to work on because um, it lays a nice foundation for other situations that are coming up as they get older. Yes. Now, now what do you mean by that? Other situations as they get older? Yeah. Oh, gee, the possibilities are endless. Um, and, and Peter, you've got to know that I'm a positive person. But <laughs> I I have to say, well, the one that comes to mind is I just always thought it was enough to be a good parent and your kid would never drink or use drugs and sure enough at a I'm not saying this is going to happen to you I'm not trying to scare you by any means I'm just saying I was so naive and here I was um, 
learning about my son drinking and getting high at a very young age and and uh that led to interesting discussions um curfews bedtime homework mm-hmm. civility around the house things such as so that what i think what you're saying is that um talking about this one sets the stage for other difficult ones that are in Peter's future? That could be in Peter's future, yeah. And and our son was extremely difficult. Um, again, by no means am I trying to scare you at all. I'm just saying this is a really good discussion to have, and while it's it's hard to do, it's good that it's coming up now and you can have lots of practice while you have this window of opportunity and he's little when he's more open to talking things over and working things out together. We're exactly on the same page here because when when uh, I saw how difficult, how addictive some of these video games are, uh, drug and alcohol was where my mind was going with this. yeah. I saw the link and I was just thinking, wow, this is going to be, this is going to be interesting, because they, it, it, there are certain um, risk factors I think that my older son has in not the certain children, to, yes, but put things down that he'll just he'll 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 go in that direction. He's really focused in some ways, but mm-hmm. it's um, he, he can't he doesn't seem to to be able to stop thinking about video games or whatever it is that he's, his particular interest is. And it could be potentially dangerous if it's not... Um, it could, but good for you because you're on top of this problem. And um, he's really lucky to have such a kind, you know, thinking about it sort of parent that you're, that you're being right now. And it, it's not an easy... It's just not easy. But you also want to take the little one, the little brother, into account, too, because they watch. Hmm. Well, one of our strategies is to get him interested in in things. Um, He started uh, karate, for example. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted some physical movement, some ability to have exercise Mm -hmm. and, and at first, he didn't want to go, um, but then the, we found just a, a really, really gifted teacher, and within the first 15 minutes, um, I, I, he was really into it after that, and he's starting to, that is starting to um, become a, a big interest of his, mm-hmm. and 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 it's starting to really pay off. Uh, one of the things that they talk about is... Um, they they do a lot of meditation in the class actually even for the very very young children, and then they talk about respect, restraint, um, and there's a very physical aspect, but also the the aim isn't to to perfect karate, it's to perfect the character of the child or the participant, and, and we're seeing some very significant progress. 
That's great. It's good to keep. And, and by the way, in terms of research, um, if there's research showing that there's a direct link between video games and later substance use, I'm not aware of it. But um, well, they don't really study sort of personality style. Um, and it could make sense that someone who um, is um, disposed to think almost obsessively about the next video game um, may find other forms of, well, let me put it this way, someone who enjoys that form of passive stimulation, I suppose, could enjoy others. But my understanding is that that's not a link that has been well established yet, if it ever will be. But Susie, what what did you want to uh, bring to our attention today? Well, I was trying very hard to think about something. Um, and I'm sort of coming up empty on you. It's loud. I'm sorry, say it again, please. It's allowed. <laughs> we have, you know, the rules on this program are actually fairly loose. You know what I mean? Yep. No rules. Mm-hmm. Um, I got one. Great. Ready? Oh, good. Yep. One of the things I do read is people wondering whether there are more challenging kids now than ever. And if so, why? Now, here's the usual explanations for why there might be. It's not that there are more challenging kids. It's that we are better at identifying them, recognizing them, um, we are much better at diagnosing them, and I can't say that I see that as a positive sign, but since the 1970s, we've been diagnosing them left and right. Um, parents are much better at advocating for kids to receive services, uh, especially in schools, um, and that could lead to an increase in identifying kids who have difficulties. Those are among the usual reasons that get given. But um, the whole thing is actually fairly subjective because rates of things that we didn't measure a long time ago, we can, we can measure rates now, but you know, if you were to look in the uh, Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, you would see a very wide range even of rates on a diagnosis like oppositional defiant disorder which can be rates as low as, I don't know, 3 to 5% and as high as in the teens percent. So what's amazing is even nowadays, even the rates of a disorder have a very wide range. So the best we are often left with, given that even present-day rates vary, I've seen a variety of different rates given for even ADHD, which you'd think we'd have our act together now, but... Because developmental deviance is the litmus test 
for a diagnosis, hmm. it becomes subjective because one clinician's definition of developmental deviance might be different from another's. Um, even supposedly objective rating scales have some subjectivity to them because you can't guarantee the objectivity of the person doing the rating. Mm-hmm. And so it's very hard to get even decent rates now, but hard to get comparison rates from back when, complicating the issue further. Even in ADHD, the diagnosis has gone through a revision in terms of the criteria almost every time a new DSM is published. There's a new one coming out in 2013, and there will be changes to the ADHD diagnosis as well as 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 the many other diagnoses that are given to children. And so all of that being the case, we are sort of left to our own subjective sense of are there more challenging kids out there than there used to be? And if so, why? And I sort of wanted to get you guys to weigh in on that. We're missing Sharon today. I'm sure she'd have an opinion. Um, what do you guys think? We got more challenging kids these days, or what's going on out there? I, I don't think there's more challenging kids. That's that's. Uh, I I agree with uh, some of the factors that have led to more identification of challenging kids. Um, but I was I was looking at the school board statistics in in the region where I live, and I was looking at some of the what coding statistics? that's the school board uh, coding statistics because uh-huh. they code for for special needs, and they were saying that about one in five children has a special special need. It's either learning disability, giftedness. Some code is attached to their um their their I guess their given number codes and that allows them for extra funding. Mm-hmm. But uh, who knows who, who um who isn't being identified. But uh learning challenges is one of them and it occurred in about one in ten uh students in, in this area. Um and I, I think that's not uh I, I think that's that's what I remember it to be when I was younger. There was about one in ten children who were struggling. I don't think there's it's 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 worse now. I think there's more of a tendency to have less tolerance for learning challenges than before. Uh, one thing I've noticed is that there are very few male teachers in the elementary level schooling and uh i've often wondered if um that has something to do with it uh girls tend to develop younger and in ways different than boys and and it seems that at least in my older son's experience like in his school uh there were a lot more identified challenging boys in the class is what you're saying that since most teachers are female they may be holding males to a standard that applies to themselves but not to typically developing males uh, possibly but i think there's there's fewer male elementary school teachers than there were in the past um, well i just spoke in your old neck of the woods london ontario last week i've moved since then <laughs> you know that's I know. right yeah right um yeah. and uh 
this was about 600 teachers across two days, or actually not just teachers, administrators as well. And um, it, it's true, the audience was largely comprised of women. Um, many people have mentioned that as a possible issue. Another issue that they've sometimes mentioned is that people who go into teaching tend, not always, but tend to be the ones who were well-behaved in the first place. Hmm. That's interesting. Hmm. Which means they may be holding kids to a standard that applies to them, although I don't know how much credibility that has, given that I tend to put more stock in the notion that if you put there's a certain point beyond which if you put enough kids in a classroom, even the most talented teacher is going to have difficulty being responsive to the needs of every kid in the class. And with, especially in the states, the economy the way it is and the budgets being what they are, right. um, teachers are just getting more and more and more kids in their classrooms. And even the good ones are saying, you know, bottom line is you can only put so many kids in a class before uh, things start heading downhill, even if most of the kids in the class aren't behaviorally challenging. Right. Um, Susie, what do you think? I think I agree with Peter that I don't know that there are more challenging kids out there um, now than there used to be. I just I don't have any research to support my thinking, but I uh, and everything that you're saying is so interesting to me, and I'm I'm trying to uh, elaborate, but I just I think that you know. There's more information out there, and parents are advocating for their children. Um, and there's more education as a whole as to um, children's problems in living. Um, but I'm not really sure I have anything more to add beyond that. You know, in collaborative problem solving, mm-hmm. challenging behavior occurs when the demands being placed upon an individual outstrip that individual's capacity to respond adaptively. Uh, in schools, in particular, we are putting more kids in classrooms, thereby um, making life significantly more challenging for classroom teachers. Having more kids in the classroom tends to mean less individualized attention for all the kids in the classroom, making it more difficult for every kid in the classroom. We have high-stakes testing, really largely throughout North America, having teachers focusing on getting all the kids in the classroom over a certain bar by the end of the school year lest they be viewed harshly or even lose funding for their school or they themselves look bad because their kids didn't do very well. Um, We have families being much more transient than they've ever been. 
thereby depriving them of the sort of family supports and community supports that might have been available to them back in the day. Um, there's a lot of things working against kids these days. There's actually a lot of things working against classroom teachers these days. Um, when you really think about it, with the definition of the moment at which demands outstrip someone's skills to respond adaptively, they look bad, it starts to make good sense why, if there are more behaviorally challenging kids these days, why that might be. And why so many teachers quit the profession within the first three to four years. Dr. Green, do you think that there's more challenging children these days? I kind of do. Really? I kind of do. Um, And I... You know, I like to base the things that I say on facts, so that's purely subjective, but Mm -hmm. I kind of do. I think that there are um, many, many more schools that have classrooms that are predominantly filled with behaviorally challenging kids. Um, I think that there have always been difficult kids in classrooms, but I think uh, there are somewhat more now, even in classrooms in which there are only two or three. I think it's gone from maybe one or two per classroom to two or three or four per classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, I actually think that this generation of kids in general um, is more savvy about the world, um, more aware of um, what goes on in the world, Um, adults behaving badly, hypocrisy. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually think that this generation... uh, has a sense about that that other prior generations were a bit more naive until later. Um, so, truth is, I think that the current generation in general is more savvy and more aware than prior generations and knows sort of how the world works in ways that prior generations were not so aware of, less willing to take things just because somebody's saying it to them, more likely to question conventional wisdom. I think that this generation is more like that. But I also think that there are more kids falling off the apple cart because I think that the demands in the challenging department, because I think that the demands being placed on kids are higher than they've ever been and that there are many factors in our society that are working to the disadvantage of kids these days. If there was a political candidate who was about the kids, I'd vote for that candidate. Because mm-hmm. I actually don't see many out there. There's a few exceptions. Um, there are some uh, legislators who um, advocate on behalf of kids so that they are not being restrained or secluded anymore in schools and in therapeutic facilities. Um, th- those are 
people who always get my vote when they're in my area. Um, there are I'm aware of legislation pending in Maine to revise and make it harder, revise, revise the rules and make it harder for kids to be restrained and secluded in public schools in Maine. Um, all, all good stuff. Um, but I don't see many legislators out there talking like I think they ought to be about the next generation. If we were talking about the next generation, then things that were to the disadvantage of those of the upcoming generations, things that we should be worrying about right now, but we get distracted by the moment and the present, um, there are things that we should be worried about for future generations that we are tabling um, and those future generations are going to have to worry about things, and it's going to be a lot harder for them um, just because we are so now focused in the present. Wow. Hmm. Very interesting. It'd be a completely I different a perspective on a lot of the problems we face now if we were truly focused on making sure that life was good for future generations. A lot of things that would be you know, I was doing supervision with some clinicians yesterday, and um, we were talking about a uh, kid who was being punished severely for certain infractions inside his or her home. And it turned out that this kid was severely depressed. And as I said to the clinician, while that puts a whole different spin on things, I wonder if the parents know their kid is severely depressed because mm -hmm. that would put completely different lenses on them as it relates to the things that they are reacting to and over-punishing their kid for. Um, I just think that if we're wearing the lenses of uh, what's life going to be like for future generations on this planet and in this part of the world, we'd be a lot more alarmed about things that we're tabling right now than we seem to be. It's going to take courage, and I don't see a lot of courage out there in our leaders. Peter, what were you going to say? I, I was just wondering if you, in your practice, have noticed a correlation or a tendency for um, challenging behavior to be associated with um, giftedness? Well, that certainly exists, and I must say, seldom do I find that the giftedness per se is the reason for the challenging behavior. Seldom is merely being gifted, just like any other characteristic that we might pick about a child. Um, you know, being tall, uh, not being gifted. Um, there's so many things we could name that are single characteristics. Almost never do single characteristics explain why a child is, is challenging. It's usually a lot more complex than that. And, once again, it's a matter of the degree of compatibility between who the kid is, the kid's characteristics, and the characteristics of their environment. So, yes, I could see gifted being a factor, but almost never, I'm tempted to say never, a satisfactory explanation for anything. Life is more complicated than that. I'm just thinking of my, my younger son. One of the challenges we had um, last year was he would often walk out of a classroom and just not participate and and uh, it was a bit puzzling what was going on. Um, and then when we 
in preparation for our move, um, we were applying to different schools here, and we had him tested. We um, were able to put him into a charter school, and their charter is on gifted education. And um, it turns out that he was accepted. Um, he's doing work at about two or three grade levels above his um, current grade. He's about grade three or grade four work at grade one, and he's not leaving the classroom anymore. Outstanding. Um, what that says to me is not. not that we have cured his giftedness, but right. that the environment is now being more responsive to who he is and that who he is is better understood. Unfortunately, we may have to say giftedness in an in-depth discussion of giftedness for another day. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Susie, as always. Thank you, Dr. Green. I'll be back next week with another Parenting Your Challenging Child. Talk to you then.